Okay, let's begin with prayer as we look at chapter 8. Father, you are a great God. You are a forgiving God, a patient God, a merciful, gracious God. We thank you, Lord, so much for how good you are to us. We pray that you would help us to recognize both your goodness and your greatness and being able to forgive our sin. And I pray that because of your willingness and your power, I pray that our hearts would be changed so that we would loathe our sin and that we would run from it. I pray, Father, that we would love righteousness, love obedience, love faithfulness, Pray, Father, that you would be exalted in these things. All right, chapter 8, forgive us our debts. Who had a chance to read the chapter within the last week or so? Okay, it's a little bit longer chapter, but uh, okay. Who prayed before they read? Who remembered? All right, very good. Who underlined at least one thing that stuck out to them? All right, very good. All right, so again, the idea is this. Books like this, the number one purpose is to give us a greater understanding of Scripture. It is not to add to it. It is not to modify it. It is to direct us to it. And this book primarily is a breakdown of uh, the Apostles' Prayer, the prayer that Jesus, uh, example prayer that Jesus gave to his apostles, to his disciples, to teach them how to communicate with God. And we are looking at each aspect of this and considering both the simplicity and yet the extraordinary. Uh, effectiveness of this prayer. And the goal, ultimately, is for us to gain a better understanding of what prayer is, of how to pray, and for it to become something that we don't worry about, something that we don't uh, panic about, something that we... um, cherish, look forward to, and uh, do without hesitation. This section covers one of our greatest needs, so let us begin. Uh, Chapter 8, anyone have anything in the first two pages? The first... uh, Section, Jonathan. The first page, I like the story about uh, the guy seeing the um, cemetery headstone, and all it said was forgiven. And he says clearly the most significant fact of this individual's life was the peace he or she knew as a result of God's forgiveness. Yeah, and that's, this is why, apart from Christ, no one can know peace. It is impossible. Unless you know that you are forgiven, unless you know 
that you will not be judged for your sin, you can have no peace. Temporary, partially, ignorantly, maybe uh, for a short time, but there's no way you can have true peace. Anything else on the first page? <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, I didn't underline something on every page, but a lot of the pages I did for sure. All right, uh, second page, page 126, uh, still under that first section of the chapter for those ebook readers. Anything? Okay. We'll go back to you. Anybody else have anything? Norma? Okay. Yeah, there, there are a lot of verses that this idea could bring to mind. Uh, understanding that he can't look upon sin, uh, considering the fact that um, we can't know peace, we can't have peace with God apart from Christ, uh, a lot of things along that line. And consider this. I think we've talked about this in the past, whether it's on, been on Wednesday night or in discussions. One of the biggest problems that the unregenerate world has is they live in a fantasy. They attempt, I should say they attempt to live in a fantasy. They attempt to live in a world that was not created by a holy, sovereign God. They attempt to live in a world where there is no one to hold them accountable and no one that will ultimately judge them apart from themselves. They attempt to live in a world where what is up is down and what is right is wrong and, and everything, their, their driving force is to go their own way. And we see all throughout Scripture Going our own way is the wrong way. We must follow Christ. We must understand who he is, what he did, uh, and the fact that he created us, he owns us, and he built us to worship him. And we all, even though we fight it, we know it. Instinctively, we know it. We know that we were created to worship we all find something to worship. It's built into us. And so are we going to, well, so the unregenerate man, all of us before we were saved, we all worshiped either ourself or something that was created. We all worship. Every single person on this planet worships something. So to know or to live in a world where you are worshiping something that cannot help you 
where you are worshiping something that makes absolutely zero difference, something that you created or somebody else created, there can be no confidence. And when there is no confidence, there is no hope and there is no peace and there is no joy. It only makes sense that people are crazy, clinically insane, schizophrenic, committing suicide. It only makes sense because living in, trying to live in this world apart from the knowledge of God, who he is, how he is, what he did, what he's going to do, what he promised, it's insanity. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I still struggle and I know what's going on. I can't even imagine trying to live in this world. And again, I, I think that is a great explanation for why so many people seek drugs and alcohol, because it's miserable living in a world without a faithful, uh, patient, forgiving, loving God. How about it, Jonathan? <laughs> Let's do this. We got a long chapter. Let's try to, if as much as possible, let's try to do one thing per page. I know. All right, one twenty-seven. All right, I, I've got one of my stars. I think I only have three stars in the chapter, so I'm gonna. You probably underline this, anyways. So middle of that top paragraph there. Um, right before sin is the problem. For if you forgive men of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We have to understand that our obligation is is to reflect Christ. And so... It is an abomination for a Christian to not forgive somebody else. It is outlandish. It is scandalous. It is one of the most hypocritical, uh, insane things a Christian could ever do is to be unwilling to forgive somebody else. We have to understand that. All right, anything else on 127? (laughs) All right, pick one thing, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah, 10 to 12. Great verses to memorize. If, uh, if you guys haven't done this, so consider this. One of the primary purposes for God saving us and not bringing us directly to heaven is so that we would be, uh, I heard this, and I, I may have mentioned it before, but I really like the imagery. Our... Uh, focus should is to be a moon to reflect the light of the sun and so one of the ways that we do that is we tell others about the light and we live in a way that reflects the light 
if you haven't, and I'm just going to tell you, there are no excuses here. If you haven't memorized any verses to help you to share the gospel, you're slacking. I'm not saying you have to memorize the entire Romans road, but something like this. Romans 3, 9 and 10, uh, or 10 to 12. Not, I mean, just Romans 3, 10. There's none righteous, not even one, is a conversation starter. Use your phone. Uh, you know, there are memorization apps. Keep them jotted down. Take time to memorize some verses so that when you're in that you have that opportunity, whether you sought it out or not, or God just threw it in your lap, you can share the gospel, you can direct somebody to scripture uh, so that the Holy Spirit can work. That is our responsibility. This is not an area where some are gifted, or some have the gift to witness and some don't. No question, some are better at it than others, don't get me wrong. But we are all called to be a witness, every single follower of Christ. All right. Oh, Norma, yes. You're saying he was a Christian or he no, not, not a Christian, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean even if I, I know my kids can memorize things much easier than I can. But at the same point in time, I know that I can do it. I just have to put a little bit more, put forth a little bit more effort. And even if I don't want to give people a, a, an easy way out, because we are to labor in our, we are to strive after God. We are to labor to serve Him. Memorize some verses, all right. But utilize also technology. Most people have a smartphone. Who in here doesn't have a smartphone? Exactly. All right. Everybody's got a smartphone. There are some great apps. There's one called Notepad that I use. And uh, you can copy and paste verses from your Bible app and put them in there and memorize them. There's a great uh, memory verses app. I think it's just called uh, Memory Verses or Bible Memory um, I can't remember the name, but I got it on my phone. Anyways, I don't use it as much as I should, I'll be honest. But, I know, right? It wasn't in the app. Uh, 
it's like memory verses, if you want me to look it up. So I, I, I work really hard not to memorize the things I can look up quickly. <laughs> Elise was giving me a hard time earlier today. She's like, you didn't remember I told you that? I was like, do you remember how many accounts this client has? Do you remember what her husband's name is? Do you remember, you know, all these things? I said, I got a lot of things I got to remember here. Right. Pretty much. Uh, so memorize something, but use your phone to have everything else quick at hand. The things that you maybe can't memorize as much. All right. Uh, 128. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, so the work of sin. Sin is the monarch that rules the heart of every man. It is the first lord of the soul. It is the virus, and its virus has contaminated every living being. Sin is the degenerative power in the human stream that makes man susceptible to disease, illness, death, and hell. All right, so it says, Sin is the moral and spiritual disease for which man has no cure. And uh, he's got a few points here. So, first, sin dominates the mind, Romans 12.1. Sin dominates the will, Jeremiah 44.15-17. Sin dominates the emotions and affections, John 3.19. Sin brings men under the control of Satan, Ephesians 2.2. Sin brings people under divine wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. And sin subjects men to misery, Job 5, 7. Also, Isaiah 48, 22. I have a note here. Let's see. Now, I must have read this someplace, but I wrote it in the, in the margin. It says, a well-defined problem is half the solution. Right? Yeah, it's... Let me ask this. Anyone ever ask God to forgive them for something they're about to do? All right. I'm the only uh, great sinner in the room then. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I am not bragging. I am ashamed of it. But there are times that I have caught myself. I know I shouldn't do this, but Lord, I really want to. Whether it's, I had three brownies tonight. Oh, man, they were so good. But I know I didn't need more than one. And, you know, it's like, Lord, forgive me for my gluttony. And I, it's funny, I even thought about it. I thought, I know I shouldn't eat this next one, but I really, really want to. I know I'm going to regret it. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous, right? 
I don't know if I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, I think so. All right. Yes. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, <laughs> oh, you're saying arguments with God? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, Sandy, Sandra. Yes, and it's, it's one of those things that if you've been saved long enough, you know. You know the answer, and yet we still sin. And I would say in almost every case, it is because, like Peter, we took our eyes off of Christ, and we started looking at our circumstances we started looking at our desires. We started thinking about me. And that is where we sin. That's where we fall. I had an interesting conversation with the kids after the service last on Sunday. And I asked each of them a question. And it was very interesting to get their responses, which I will not share. Uh, but I said, what sin causes you to stumble most often? And it was very interesting, you know, through a little bit of explanation of what I was trying to get at, all of them were able to identify something that causes them to stumble regularly. And two of them had essentially the same thing, generally speaking, and the other two had the same thing. It was very interesting as to what sins caused them to stumble most. And I would imagine if each one of us asked those questions, it would come down to one of those two things. So we have to recognize, and again, a well-defined problem is half of the solution. If we can identify the areas, and this chapter is not about fighting sin per se, it's about the fact that we have forgiveness when we sin, but at the same time, if we can identify it, hopefully we can thwart it uh, at least part of the time and be able to confess it quickly to get back in good uh, relationship with God. It says somewhere in the chapter, number 8, that as you're, you're growing in your walk with Christ, your sensitivity increases. Yeah, it's very interesting. I remember when I first got saved, God pointing out something to me, 
And it was so funny because I was like, man, this is the biggest sin in my life. Um, if I could just get past this. <laughs> and then the next week it was something new. And I was like, oh, there's more than one thing. And guess what? For the last 25 years, it's been another thing. And sometimes those things pop their head back up because I forget the lesson that he taught me. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. As, as you pray more, as you read more, as you pursue holiness more, you will become hypersensitive to your sin. And it doesn't mean you won't sin. It just means... I think the overall impact is a greater sense of humility and a greater ability to forgive others because you realize what a wretch you are. All right. Uh, 1.30. Oh, 1.29. Sorry. We just read a whole page, Jonathan. Yes. Greeks discussed sin. It's like, wow. I mean, we just look at it like one word. No, 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 they don't do it like that. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's similar with love, right? Yeah. One word in English for love, for in Greek. And it gives you a greater sense. I, I remember having a, a talk with one of the kids about loving their siblings. And he's like, I don't. I don't love them. And I was like, no, let me explain. <laughs> and then I was able to use the Greek words to explain the difference in love. And they're like, oh, okay. So, not that they were willing to say that they loved their siblings, but they understood. Louise? Yeah, knowing, the, knowing that he is ready and he is able to forgive when we ask, again, it's one of the most comforting things in the world. I love the story of the wife and the, and the husband. Oh, man, so powerful. To think, you know, think about... Think about the, the, the guy in the parable that wasn't forgiven by the other slave and was thrown in jail. What an object lesson for him, knowing that this other slave was forgiven, a much greater debt, and then being not forgiven for a much lesser debt, but then seeing the punishments on him because he didn't forgive. Now, granted, I don't know, we don't, know for sure if these were real life examples uh, seems like well even in the parables it seems so I mean it seems so real like is it is he using real people or is it uh, just made up people but I can imagine something like that happening where we're able to see the impact of both forgiveness and, and uh, unforgiveness and 
it should it should move us to tread more lightly in regards to how we act and how we live, but then also how we respond to others when they sin against us. Right. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I've been, I got saved, I think, 25 years ago. Let's see. 26 years ago, next month, in April. So, <laughs> I just know it was sometime in April. I don't remember the day, exact day. I could probably tell you, you know, I know it was a Sunday. Um, but it was just within the last two weeks that God really helped me um, to be able to stop and process a situation and not instantly react consistently. I mean, not to say that I never was able to do it, but it was just within the last two weeks that it seemed to finally become a part of me. Now, if you see me not do that, please let me know and point it out, right? Uh, but it was, it was very interesting. There was four, five, six things within uh, a week and a half, two-week period that I was like, wow, two weeks ago, I would have reacted very differently. And I don't know, I, there was a sense of peace. There was a sense of being able to trust him and, and not get um, too excited. So my point is, it's a journey, right? It's something that happens progressively over time as we seek him. It's not, it's not a microwave. It's, it's a very long process. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm not trying to say I've got it. It just seems like it finally sunk in and there was some consistency in my response. Um, Side note to that, I, I know I've talked to a few of you in the past. How many have read the book? It's a small booklet. Your reactions are showing? Okay. So we might be going through that after this. It's a short four or five chapter book, but it is phenomenal. One of the most powerful short books I've ever read in my life. <coughs> Okay, one thirty. All right, hold on. I got my second star in one thirty, so I'm sure Jonathan underlined this, underlined this too. Uh, oh, above forgiveness is the solution. So in that quote by A.W. Pink, he says, It is a crime, and as to the guilt which we contact thereby, it is a debt. And that is, so I guess for context, As it is contrary to the holiness of God, sin is a defilement, a dishonor, and a reproach to us, as it is a violation of his law. It is a crime, and as to the guilt which we contact thereby, it is a debt. 
So, again, as we sin, or apart from Christ, as we sin, we accumulate this debt. And, you know, it reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress, the burden that he had on his back, and he finally got to the cross and dropped the burden. And any of us who got saved later, you know, in our, in our adult life can probably relate, relate to that fairly well having that, that burden, always carrying it around. And to a certain extent, once we're saved, being more acutely aware of our sin, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's almost like dropping uh, barbecue sauce on a white shirt. You know, you sin, you're like, oh, it's so glaring. And, you know, everybody can see it, and you're just so hyper-aware of it. Obviously, over time, you become more aware of it. But, you know, and it's embarrassing, and you're just like, oh, I just want to take this off. I want to get it cleaned. I want to be able to go out without these spots and stains on me. And thankfully, we can do that. All right, we got uh, John or uh, Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen. All right, Jonathan, anything on one thirty or one thirty one that you want to pick? Yeah, and that's something that we have to acknowledge. Our greatest problem is not our spouse, it's not our kids, it's not our neighbor, it's not our boss, it's not our president, it's not our governor, it's none of that. It's our own sin. Every one of us, our greatest problem is our own stinking sin. All right, Norma, you said you had one something on 131. I've heard a lot of pastors speak on the fact that not only because of the removal of our sin as far as the East is from the West, but because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness on us, judicially speaking. And it's funny because all the honest ones say, I don't understand it. (laughs) and I look forward to getting to heaven and gaining a a greater understanding of what that actually entails. Because we can, it's like, I'm going to bring it down to a human level. It's like imagining that perfect vacation, whatever that is to you, 
and thinking about, oh, I would do this and I would do that and oh, this would be so amazing. And only being able to imagine it until you actually go there, right? I think there's an aspect of that. We can only, we can look forward to it. We can imagine it, but we really can't grasp it until we get there. And it's funny, I, I sent, you guys have heard us talk about uh, Todd Friel before, Wretched Radio. I sent in a question to him and he answered it on one of his shows and it was about um, people being able to enjoy heaven more than others and uh, the Puritans wrote a lot about it and obviously we can't say for sure but there seems to be this this thought going all throughout scripture uh, and it doesn't again it doesn't say it explicitly but there's this idea that the more we anticipate heaven the more we will enjoy it and he gave a a, a neat example in the in the answer but i i think there's something to that again i can't there's not a specific verse that says it but he he gave it a, his example was something to the effect of um, if two people are going on a vacation and one of them is planning it out and looking at all the things that they're going to be able to do and, and thinking about it and um, looking in depth as to the different options and then the other per- person is just saying, okay, I guess I'm going to go on vacation. Which one enjoys it more? Normally, it's the one who had that anticipation and understood what they were looking for, and when they got there, they were able to take full advantage of it. So, again, not saying Bible and verse, but at the same time, it seems somewhat logical that the more we anticipate it, the more people will see it in us here, and the more we will enjoy it once we get there. Norma? I'm sorry, say it again. Can we experience the taste of heaven? So, (laughs) yeah, so I can't remember which book it was, and I don't think that it was the book specifically, but there's something that I I had this experience. I'll never forget it. I was driving to work one day and I was listening to an audio book about heaven and this overwhelming joy, exuberance, just a feeling I've never had in my entire life just like washed over me and I was like, wow! And to me, you know, I was like so overwhelmed and I thought this must be a taste of heaven, right? Because the topic... Huh? <laughs> but it was talking specifically about heaven and again, it was just, it was so powerful 
And so I can't say it was a taste of heaven, but um, compared to other instances in my life, that's, that's my only explanation for it. So, in, uh, uh, hold on a second. I think you guys have heard me reference the gospel primer in the past. The, one of the things it says is, Through the death of Christ, God has brought peace where there was once hostility, and he has broken down the racial, economic, and social barriers that once divided us outside of Christ. Each brother and sister is a portion of my gospel inheritance from God, and I am a portion of their inheritance as well. We are significant players in each other's gospel narrative, and it is in relationship with one another that we experience the fullness of God in Christ. It's funny, I read that, and I I didn't see a direct correlation to what we were talking about, but I think part of our inheritance is other believers. And, you know, we, I don't think we can truly identify something and say, oh, that was absolutely, you know, heaven revealed to me. All right. We need to pick up the pace a little bit. 132, uh, that's my last star, so I'm going to read that. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So at the bottom of 132, oh, I'm sorry, it is under parental forgiveness. So I really liked, yes, I'm skipping a lot of things, uh, but I really liked the explanation of judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. If you haven't read that, reread that and understand that because it helps to be able to um, to reconcile things, to reconcile sin in your life and in others, in the forgiveness of that sin. So at the bottom paragraph in the book, going into page 133, it says, Jesus' act of foot washing was more than an example of humility. It was also a picture of the forgiveness God gives in his repeated cleansing of those who are, ready, or those who are already saved. Dirt on the feet symbolizes the daily surface contamination from sin that we experience as we walk through life. Sin does not and cannot make us entirely dirty because we have been permanently cleansed. The judicial purging that occurs at regeneration needs no repetition, but the practical purification is necessary every day because daily we fall short of God's perfect holiness. And I'll say this. This hit me. I don't remember how... How many years ago exactly? But I would say any opportunity that we have to pray where we have the ability to stop and think and to be considerate, we should confess our sin. We should ask God to forgive us. Because every time we have an opportunity to pray, no doubt we have sinned and not ask for forgiveness yet. All right. 134. 
Yes, we did. You want to pick something on 134, Jonathan? All right, Norma, 135. So uh, a note on that point, when we confess our sin, Jim Berg talked about this in Quieting a Noisy Soul, and he gave a, a great example. If you punch somebody in the face, you don't say, forgive me for being unkind. You say, forgive me for lacking self-control, forgive me for assaulting you, forgive, right? Call it what God calls it. When we confess our sin to God or to others, we need to recognize what we did. We need to be honest with God. And it seems, I think both with God and with man, when we are honest about where our fault actually lies, people are much more ready to be able to forgive. And forgiveness does not remove the penalty or the consequence of our actions, though, and I know pastors talked about this and we've talked about this at different times, it does seem, and um, I've heard other pastors say this, and I can't remember the exact verse off the top of my head, but it does seem that if we are, if we confess our sin honestly, there are times when God removes the consequence because he sees that we knew exactly what we did and we confessed it and we turned from it. Obviously, if we list everything, you know, under the sun and hope, you know, falsely that we're covered, it's not going to cut it. He's looking for honesty. Yeah. Right. Yeah, even if you fill it with wood filler, you still see it. Others might not, but you still see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
Just read that yesterday. Yeah, so again, being honest, not blaming others. I mean, you've heard this said in, in different, uh, different areas, but how much stronger would our testimony be? How much stronger would our church be? How much stronger would our relationships and our family be if we would confess our sin honestly as we did it, you know, and not delay and not make excuses and not blame others, but if we took responsibility for our sin and confessed it rightly, how much stronger would our example be to this world? Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, and so that's repentance, right? Repentance is to confess and to turn. And there's no doubt at times after we're saved, we ask for forgiveness, but whether it's, you know, five minutes later or five years later, we go back and we, we do what we know we shouldn't do. And ultimately, yes, we have to, that's not, that's not sufficient just to, you know, take advantage of God's grace. Norma? Right, and, and hopefully, while we do need to confess our sin daily, because we sin daily, Hopefully, there is a, a greater distance between that sin, greater infrequency of that sin. I, I heard it this way where, you know, before you're saved, your sin is a straight line, it's constant, and then once you're saved, there becomes little intervals in between, and then as you grow in holiness, those gaps, those spaces in between sin are larger and the length of that sin is shorter. And it's not perfect, but it should be ever-increasing. We should be more aware of our sin. We should be more willing to fight it. We should be um, more honest in uh, confessing it and willing to make Take the steps necessary. And you guys have heard me say this a million times. 
I, I don't believe it's possible to continue to mature as a Christian without another believer holding you accountable in some way. We're not strong enough to just do it on our own. We need somebody that we can that can question us, somebody that can, you know, check on us and, and we all need it. Every one of us needs it. And sure to different extents possibly, but we all need somebody to hold us in check. I mean I, I think about David. Nobody held him in check. Only God. And he, King David, yes, sorry. <laughs> I just assumed you knew who I was talking about. Uh, yeah, oh no. yeah, King David, you know, he had no accountability. Imagine if, uh, and I believe fully, it was God's grace that allowed that to happen to a certain extent to be such a strong example for us throughout history. But imagine if Nathan was with him all the time. Imagine if Nathan was constantly, um, and I'm not saying nagging, but in his ear saying, focus on, on God. You know, maintain your relationship. David, you're supposed to be at war right now. Why are you home? Right? We need people to question us. We need people to check in on us. We need people that we can go to and be open and honest with. And I don't think it's possible to continue to mature without having that in our lives because we are frail. We, we fall. All right. 140 or 41? I don't know. All I know is it's, we're, we're, we're working on an hour here, and we got three, page, three or four pages left, so. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take three more things. So 139 to 142. I'm sorry? I know. Well, and it's funny, Kim and I were, Kim and I have read a lot of books together throughout the years, and I asked her there, and I said, you know, what if we only read one book, but we actually followed through on everything that we read, as opposed to reading 50 books and not following through on hardly anything that we read? I mean, obviously, God changes us over time. But I just imagine if we, I, I remember Jim Berg saying this one time, he said, when you're reading the Bible, one of the questions always comes, how long do you stay in one passage, one chapter, one book? He says, until you notice a change. That's how long you stay in it. And if we were only more disciplined and more patient to be able to do that, I think there would be a lot more growth than us trying to devour everything and then not, it not result in a lot of change. Okay, so 139 to 142, go. Louise? 
Yeah, I mean, again, he talked about that in the parental forgiveness. If, if a parent sees his children and they're fighting and one of them comes to them and says, hey, uh, will you forgive me for fighting, but then doesn't reconcile with the sibling? <laughs> it's like, hello, you got to resolve everything before you come ask me for forgiveness. I know it's not the same exact thing, but we need to uh, be willing to forgive and not hold grudges against people if we are going to uh, want to have that peace with our Father. All right, two more things. Trent, Clara? I dare you, I dare you to tell me something you underlined. Got something? You didn't finish? Okay. <laughs> Got anything on the last four pages, Trent? Not on the last four, okay. All right, so the next chapter, I'm going to, to Trent and Clara first. So be ready. <laughs> All right. What's it say, Jonathan? Absolutely. All right, so a couple things. Let's sum it up this way. The lost in receiving forgiveness that first time are able to enjoy peace. But once we're saved, we still need to confess regularly and recognize our sin. And... We must forgive others, or else we cannot have that peace. So confess your sin regularly, forgive others graciously, and continue to fight. And yeah, rinse and repeat daily. Absolutely. All right. So we finished. So read chapter 9. Oh, actually, next week is uh, they're doing a practice for, uh, for Resurrection Sunday. So I plan on, depending on how many people are here that aren't singing, I plan on going down to the teen room if there's, say, 10 or less of us. If there's more than 10, then we'll go into the fellowship hall and taking some time to pray and to 
um, even maybe do a, a little bit of a, a hint, uh, a, a, tease, a, a teaser of chapter 9 and just talk about that a little bit. But we'll wait for the following Wednesday to go through the whole chapter. So... <laughs> so even if you're not singing feel free to show up and we can still uh, spend some time in prayer and, and consider the topic of prayer well I'm thinking about my wife she's not singing and there might be other people that aren't singing that are here and people in the teen class that aren't singing that will be here so Yeah, so I think we'll have between five and ten. Lord knows. All right, let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know both our real desire to love you and to live for you and that ever-present sinful desire that's distracts us from doing what we should. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the idols that we create in our hearts. Forgive us for our hypocrisy, for our laziness, for our selfishness, our greed, our envy, our lust. Forgive us, Lord, for loving the things of this world. Please, Help us to become more acutely aware of our sin, to see it as you see it, to hate it as you hate it, and to run from it. As I picture Joseph running from Potiphar's wife, Lord, be our strength, be our guide. Help us to live truly as though you are Lord of all of our lives. And help us by your grace to forgive as you forgive. Lord, as you will, what you will, when you will.